So the title of my sermon this morning, this Christmas Day sermon, The King is Worthy. So if you're taking notes, write that down. That's the title of my sermon. This is the last sermon in our Christmas story series. And we're going to find our scripture in Matthew chapter 2. So if you will, go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 2. As we worked through chapter 1 in, uh, on the 18th in our candlelight service, today we're going to go through parts of chapter 2. And we're going to look at the wise men and at King Herod. So while you're turning there, I'll share a little bit with you. But um, whenever we go throughout life, as human beings, we learn to read people's responses. We learn to see how they react to perhaps a gift. This morning, as many of you woke up, uh, children, grandchildren, husbands, wives, uh, nieces, nephews, aunts, uncles, you gave gifts. And you saw the reaction and the response in the face of those whom you gave the gift to and how they responded to that gift. Maybe it was a child and you bought them a sweater. We all know the response you normally get with that, right? Oh, clothes. You know, we always give them to our kids. You know, even if it's something you don't necessarily want, you're supposed to be thankful and you're supposed to really appreciate what you get, you know, but you can always tell by reading that response. But then when you get somebody something that they wanted, the very thing that they asked for, the very thing they've desired, you see their face light up. You see excitement. They might, they might let out a yes or a big smile, or they may laugh, or whatever it may be, but you can tell it's a genuine response of joy and happiness. Well, today, as we look at the wise men at King Herod and their responses to the coming king, the fact that Jesus had been born, you're going to see two very different responses among King Herod and among the wise men. And what I want us to see today is, is I want us to have a heart check. I want us to allow the Holy Spirit to evaluate our hearts today. Now, are we being gripped by materialism? Has Christmas become all about the stuff for us? Has Christmas even come, uh, become more about all the traditions or all the stuff we do with the family? Even though that's not bad, those are good things. But primarily, Christmas must be about Jesus and about the King, the coming of the Savior who died for the world. And I think today we need to allow the Holy Spirit to evaluate our response to Jesus. How do we react to the fact that Jesus is alive? How do we react to the fact that Jesus was born in a manger and that he did take on flesh and that he did live a perfect life of 33 years in this world in order to die a horrible, uh, just horrific death on a criminal's cross? I mean, the cross was designed for the worst of the criminals. The Romans designed the cross to be a torture tool. It was supposed to make you suffer as long as possible before you died. And it was designed for murderers, for traitors, for the worst of the worst, wars, uh, criminals of war. That's what the cross was for. And yet our Savior willingly hung on that torture device, allowed himself to be ridiculed and, and, and beaten and spit upon for us. And the Bible teaches us that at any time, Jesus could have come off that cross. It wasn't the Roman soldiers that were keeping him on that cross. It wasn't the nails in his hands and his feet that were keeping him on that cross. It was him that was keeping himself on that cross. Because he knew that unless he fully died and paid the price in full, that our sins would not be forgiven. Unless he became the sacrifice, the one who blood was shed and life was given, we could not have been saved. And he stayed on that cross for us. And victoriously he rose from the dead. Now that deserves a response. 
My question for you this morning is, what is your response to that? And is your heart in the right place? Hey, listen, we've got a lot to be thankful for, don't we? We've got a lot to be happy about. And you know what? As Christians, it's okay to get fired up every once in a while. It's okay to be happy. It's okay to be joyous because we've got more than anyone else in the world has to be happy about. And our sins are forgiven. Death is not the worst thing that can happen to us. Hey, you know what? Death is just the beginning. Death is just the beginning of eternity for us. Hey, when this life's over, the best is yet to come. Hey, we got a lot to be happy about today. Praise God for that. Amen. So as we go on down, we're going to see a few different things in this passage. And I just want to give you a little bit of a precursor because there's a lot of misconceptions about the wise men. As we read the passage, you're going to find out a few things. You're going to find out that the Bible does not say there were three wise men. The Bible just says wise men or magi, okay? So we just know there were some, but we don't know how many. A lot of times the conception of the three wise men comes from the fact that three gifts were given. So people assume there were three of them, but not necessarily. Also, there's a misconception that the night Jesus was born was when the wise men arrived. We know that is also not true according to Scripture. We're going to see here in several different verses, such as verses 9 and 11 of Matthew chapter 2, that Jesus is called a child rather than a baby. In verse 11, the wise men went to a house instead of a stable. In verse 16, Herod ordered that all babies from age 2 and under be killed signifying that it could have been close to two years since Christ had been born. And that would have been stemming from the information that the wise men gave Herod based upon when the star appeared. So here we see there's a lot of misconceptions, but now we're kind of caught up, right? So now we have Joseph and Mary and baby Jesus. They're still in Bethlehem. They're living in a house. Jesus is probably somewhere between one and two years old. And this is when they begin to have these visitors. So if you will stand to your feet as we read God's Word. We're going to read Matthew chapter 2. We're going to read verses 1 through 12, and you're welcome to read along with me, okay? Beginning in verse 1, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born King of the Jews? For we saw his star at its rising and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. So he assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people and asked them where the Messiah would be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this is what was written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod secretly summoned the wise men and asked them the exact time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. When you find him, report back to me so that I too can go worship him. After hearing the king, they went on their way, and there it was, the star they had seen at its rising. It led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. God, thank you for this account, Jesus, of when you were just a toddler, Lord, of, of this time, Lord, when you were presented with gifts, when you were worshipped and revered as the king that you are. Lord, help us today, God, to 
allow the Holy Spirit to evaluate our hearts. Lord, because we certainly want to respond to you in a proper way. You're the king, you're God, you're the creator, and you deserve all praise and all worship. So today, Lord, if there be anything in us, God, that is hindering us from giving you what you deserve, the worship and the praise that you deserve, Lord, I pray today that you would remove it. God, that we would get our hearts right with you. And Lord, that we would be joyous in the fact that you came as a baby, lived a perfect life so that we could be saved. Thank you, Jesus, for your death, your burial, and your resurrection. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So I want us to see three different responses in this passage. Three different responses to the fact that the king of the Jews has arrived. The first response I want us to see is that of King Herod and the Jews, and that is a disturbed heart. So if you're taking notes, write that down, a disturbed heart. We see that beginning in verse 3, because when King Herod heard the news that the king of the Jews was born, it says in verse 3, he was deeply disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. He was so disturbed that he assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people and asked them where the Messiah would be born. In Bethlehem, they told him. Then they referred to the prophecy. Then Herod, again, because he was so deeply disturbed, he secretly summoned the wise men and asked them at the exact time the star had appeared. So he's gathering his information. He wants to know where the king would be born. He wants to know when the star had appeared because he wants to know where the king's at and he wants to know how old the king is. He wants to find this child. And he tells the wise men, go and find the baby. And when you found him, return and tell me where he's at so I can go and worship him too. King Herod ruled under the authority of the Roman Empire. So he was not the end-all, be-all of authorities. But he did rule the Jewish people. And he was part Jewish, but he was ultimately a descendant of Esau. If you remember Esau and Jacob. Jacob was in the lineage in the line of the Jewish people, whereas Esau was not. Herod was actually an Indumean Arab, and he was not a stranger to murder. If you actually look at the history of King Herod, he was someone who was very fond of killing off his competition and his enemies. He was so self-absorbed and so insecure and so greed, greedy and power-hungry that anyone who even begin, began to threaten his authority, he would have them murdered. Baby Jesus was no exception. Jesus to him was a great threat. Jesus to him, the Bible says, disturbed him greatly. Here we see really what a lot of people really show and expose as they're uh, told about Jesus. A lot of people in our world, when we tell them about the king, when we tell them the fact that they must be born again, when we tell them that they must repent of their sins and trust in Jesus or else suffer eternal damnation, a lot of people are very disturbed by that word, by that, by that message. There's a lot of people in this world who would rather just not hear about it. Hey, a lot of you in this room this morning have family members who don't want to hear about Jesus today. When you're sitting around the table, you're eating your meal, and you want to share the gospel with some of your family, you're going to have some family members who, when you mention the King of the Jews, the Lord Jesus Christ, they will be like Herod. They will be deeply disturbed. And it's really for the same reason that King Herod was disturbed. It's because there's someone here who's greater than they are. There's someone here who seeks to rule their life and be the Lord of their life. There's someone here who has a better way than they have. There's someone here 
who shows them that they cannot do it all themselves. And it's Jesus. And a lot of people don't want that today. A lot of people want their own way. A lot of people want to call their own shots. A lot of people today want to be their own God. And when they're presented with Jesus, who is the king of the Jews, who is not only the king of the Jews, but the king of the universe, it causes them to be deeply disturbed. And we see that here with Herod. In Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 16, the Bible says this, I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other, so that you don't do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatreds, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. I am warning you about these things, as I warned you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And here we see this is why. People become very disturbed when you share the gospel with them because they don't want to repent. Hey, listen, the Bible teaches us, and you, you may disagree, but that's okay because the Bible says it, therefore it's truth, that all people are aware of the Creator. In Romans chapter 1, the Bible says that those who do not worship God as God are suppressing the truth. In other words, the truth is present within them, but they're suppressing it. They're saying, I choose not to honor the Creator. I choose not to worship the King. Romans 1 goes on and it begins to say that instead of worshiping God, they began to worship things made with the hands of mankind, things that looked like animals, things that looked like creeping things. They began to worship themselves and their own bodies. They turned themselves over to lusts and passions of sinfulness. They began to go against the natural use of the body and began to embrace wickedness and immorality. And let me tell you what, when you deny the Creator, when you're like Herod and you say, no, I don't want the King of the Jews, no, I don't want Jesus, what you're going to say is, is I will embrace destruction. Instead of embracing the Creator, I want destruction. I want death. I want darkness. I want sadness. Because, listen, you can't have it both ways. You can't deny the Creator, the one for whom you were created to be in relationship with. You can't deny Him and embrace yourself and think that you're somehow going to be able to fulfill your needs when there's only one who can fulfill you today. And that's the King of the Jews. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the one who was born in the manger. Listen, if you're looking for anything else to fulfill you this morning on this Christmas day, I promise you, if it's not Jesus, it won't work. If it's not Jesus, it's going to lead to a dead end. If it's not Jesus, it's going to end in sadness. If it's not Jesus, it's going to end in depression and anxiety. Listen, Jesus is the only one who can fulfill. And that day, Herod made his decision. That day, Herod decided, I don't want Jesus. I want me. I don't want to put Jesus on the throne. I'm going to sit on the throne. And you'll find out that even before then, Herod had a miserable life, and he had a miserable life after that. 
He ended up being, dying in just embarrassment and shame. He'd been married nine times. He'd killed six or seven of his wives because they thought that they were out to get him. He killed all of his competition because he was so messed up on himself. So badly did he want to fulfill himself, and yet he could never, ever do it. Verse 3, we find out that the news greatly disturbed him. Verses 4 through 6, we find out Herod immediately began searching for the newborn king. Verse 7 tells us that Herod immediately began putting together a timeline of the birth of the child. And verse 8 tells us that Herod tried to deceptively use the wise men to find the newborn king. We know that King Herod didn't want to know where Jesus was so that he could worship him. From his past and his track record, we know very well that he wanted to kill the Lord Jesus Christ. We go on down and we see there's another response we find in this passage. Not only a disturbed heart, such as King Herod, but we find a joyful heart. We find a rightful response this morning. So if you're taking notes, write that down, a joyful heart. And we're going to see that in verses 9 and 10. Beginning in verse 9, it says, After hearing the king, talking about the wise men, they went on their way. And there it was, the star they had seen, and it's rising. It led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. When they saw the star, what? They were overwhelmed with joy. Is it because they liked the star? Is it because they wanted the star? No, it's because they knew what the star represented. They had found the king. They had, some scholars say that the wise men could have traveled thousands of miles to arrive to that place at that time. Hey, if they had seen the star rise at the moment of Jesus' conception... It could have very well taken them over two years to arrive at Bethlehem. They came from the far east, and they traveled on the back of a camel. And I don't know if you've ever seen a camel walk, but they're not exactly the fastest mode of transportation, right? Not exactly the most comfortable mode of transportation. But they were faithful because they wanted to see the king. They probably had to fend off bandits. They probably had to fend off bad weather. They probably had to have a lot of guards and a big entourage just to protect them as they made their travels to see the king. But their focus was and their goal was, we want to see the king. We want to come and we want to honor him for who he is. And when their journey had ended and they saw the star stop over where the child was, the Bible says they were overwhelmed with joy. Let's look back there at verse 9 again. After hearing the king, they went and there it was, the star. It led them until it stopped above the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. In the Greek, it has an extensive explanation of the joy that the wise men felt. There's a verb there called kairo that means rejoice, to be glad, and to joy. There's another word there, svadra, which means exceedingly great, a high degree, and much joy. Megos is also used there, which means great, loud, big, high, large, mighty, and strong, describing the joy that the wise men had. And then there was another noun mentioned there that's called kara, which means cheerfulness, gladness, and joy. So the Bible is trying to tell us something here today, that through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the wise men weren't just happy. The wise men didn't just have joy, but the wise men were fired up. Man, they were excited. And it wouldn't surprise me if when they saw the star stop over where the child was, that they started shouting. 
that they started running around, that they started celebrating, they started playing music. Hey, we have found the king, we have arrived. We have found where he is after this long and this difficult joy or journey. They had a joyful heart. Hey, you know, with Herod, he was disturbed, greatly disturbed. It drove him crazy. But then the very opposite happens with the wise men. They had great joy when they found the king. And then I also want you to see this other response by the wise men. If you're taking notes, write this down. They had a worshipful heart. Not just joy, not just happiness, not just thanking God and glad, but they had a worshipful heart. Worshipful. We find that in verses 11 and 12, if you'll look in Matthew chapter 2 with me. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Hey, you know what the wise men did? After they rejoiced, after they journeyed for many thousands of miles to find the king, and after they realized they had arrived and they had a big party to celebrate, they worshipped him. The Bible says they went into the house and they fell on their knees. They worshipped the king. Robert Weber describes worship in this way. Worship is a meeting between God and his people when the worshiper is brought into personal contact with the one who gives meaning and purpose to life. From this encounter, the worshiper receives strength and courage to live with hope in a fallen world. Hey, can you imagine, as believers today, every time we come to the throne of grace and we pray to our God, we are coming into contact with the one for whom we were created. We're coming into contact with the very creator of the world who made you for the very purpose of having a relationship with him. And we look around the world and we say, why is the world so messed up? Because people are not in a relationship with the one they were created for. You say, how are we going to fix it, Ben? We've got to have better policies. We've got to have better community service projects. We've got to have better politicians. We've got to have these better ideas for society in order to fix these things. No, you're wrong. The way we fix a broken world is they need to come into contact with the one for whom they were created. And when they come into contact with him, their world changes. When they come into contact with him and they begin to worship him, fulfilling the purpose of their existence, that's when their life changes. Hey, that's when the drunk gets sober. Hey, that's when the harlot starts to value his or her body. Hey, that's when the gang member begins to leave the gangs and be able to live a functional life. Hey, that's when these things change. That's when the drug addict comes off of their drugs and gives their life to Christ. It's all about people coming into contact with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what it's all about. The wise men worshipped, and part of their worship was giving gifts to the king. It says that they gave him gold. Well, if you think of it, what better gift to give a king than gold? What other material, what other human treasure is as worthy as gold to give to the king? In Psalm chapter 72, verse 15, the Bible says this, May he live long. May gold from Sheba be given to him. May prayer be offered for him continually. And may he be blessed all day long. Gold is a proper gift to give the king. Also, he got frankincense. Frankincense is a glittering, odorous gum obtained from the bark of certain trees. It's a proper gift for deity. So gold is because he was a king. Frankincense was because he is God. 
In Isaiah chapter 60, verse 6, the Bible says, Caravans of camels will cover your land. Young camels of Midian and Ephah, all of them will come from Sheba. They will carry gold and frankincense and proclaim the praises of the Lord. Then lastly, we have myrrh. Myrrh is a valued spice or perfume, which also came from trees and was used in the embalming process. Thus, it was a gift for a person who was going to die. In John chapter 19, verse 39, the Bible says this, At night, they also came bringing a mixture of about 75 pounds of myrrh and aloes. This was when Nicodemus and uh, another gentleman, Joseph of Arimathea, came to the tomb of Jesus bringing embalming fluid and spices so that they could honorably bury the Savior. Myrrh was given for people who would die. And the commonality between all these gifts, hey, listen, we're talking about a worshipful heart here. The commonality between all these gifts was that they were all extremely valuable. Had costed whoever gave them great, great amounts of money. They were truly treasures fit for the king. It's believed that Joseph and Mary were able to survive in Egypt after they fled to Egypt, after hearing that Herod was wanting to kill Jesus, they were able to survive there for several years on the proceeds that came from those gifts given to them by the wise men. That's how valuable those things were. Ultimately, why is God even worthy of our worship today? You ever ask that? Because I know there's people in this world that say, I don't want to worship God. Why should I worship God? Well, let me put it this way. This is as simple as it gets. He is the greatest in the universe. Now, if you can tell me of anyone greater than the creator, than God, then I would say worship him or her or whomever it is. But you know what? There's no one greater than the God of the Bible. There's no one greater than the king of the Jews. Why would I want to worship someone who's second best? Why would I want to worship myself when I know my faults and my failures and my inabilities? Hey, I want to worship the best. I want to worship the greatest because, hey, he's the only one who's worthy of all praise and all glory and all worship. And you know who knew that? The wise men. They knew it very well. And see, the wise men were not traditionally Jews. They were not traditionally people who would have been people of the truth. They were actually in astrology. They would have been worshiping the stars or they would have been worshiping Eastern religions or Eastern philosophy. But even these Gentiles who didn't know anything about Scripture other than what had been told them probably by God or what research they had done, they knew enough to know, I've got to get to the king. And when I get to him, I'm going to be joyous about it. And when I get to him, I'm going to worship him because he is worthy. And you know what? That's the right response today. Hey, when you think about the king, hey, it ought to make you happy. It ought to make you joyous. You ought to be excited about the fact that God sent his only begotten son into this world to die for you. But not only that, but you ought to be worshipful. You ought to be willing to give of your life to him. Fall at his feet and worship him as the king that he is. Because today I promise you that he's worthy. Psalm chapter, or the 148th Psalm says this. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his heavenly armies. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord. For he commanded and they were created. He set them in position forever and ever. He gave an order that will never pass away. 
Praise the Lord from the earth, all sea monsters and ocean depths, lightning and hail, snow and cloud, stormy wind that executes his command, mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, wild animals and all cattle, creatures that crawl and flying birds, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all judges of the earth, young men as well as young women, old and young together, let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His majesty covers heaven and earth. He has raised up a horn for his people, resulting in praise to all his faithful ones, to the Israelites, to the people close to him. Hallelujah. Today, I want to end the service today as, um, as I end my sermon with a video. And what this video is, is this video is about missionaries who went to Papua New Guinea and they began to work with a tribe there that had no inclination and no knowledge whatsoever of the Lord Jesus Christ. They had never had a Bible in their possession. They, they had no clue about even the beginnings of creation in Adam and Eve. And these missionaries began to take them through the Old Testament and show them story after story after story. And as the narrative built and grew, as it began to center on the Lord Jesus, they revealed Jesus to this tribe and who he was. And they had, a, they had an understanding of who he was, and then the missionaries shared the gospel with them. And I want you to see their response this morning. We can go ahead and play that video. Finally put to death... They were simply appalled. They were distraught. They couldn't believe what they were seeing. Because the death and shedding of blood is so significant to the gospel story, we had rigged a balloon filled with colored water to be pierced by our designated Roman soldier. It was when they saw the blood that the story began to take on significance. Our explanation and portrayal of Jesus Christ's resurrection was simple, but to them, very powerful. The Savior was alive. Then I went back into the Old Testament stories and beginning with Abel, explained how Jesus was our acceptable sacrifice just like Abel's sacrifice was accepted by God. When I finally reached the story of Abraham and Isaac, I said to them, Listen, just as a real lamb was substituted for Isaac, so Christ's death and blood has been shed as a substitution for you. At that point, the lights really went on. I could see and hear them responding all over the crowd. I believe! I believe! I believe. I stood in their midst and asked them what they thought. From all over, responses came like this. I know I was born in sin. I believe Jesus paid for my sin, that he died in my place. He is my sin bearer. I lived in fear trying to please the spirits, for I knew no other way to be free from sin. But God in His grace has sent you to us. I've heard it and believe the death and blood of Christ is payment for my sin. I believe it, and God has forgiven me. On that day, almost all the village expressed belief in our Lord Jesus Christ. There was a sense of tremendous relief. The Mok are generally a restrained people, 
But as the gospel sunk in and new believers sensed the liberation from sin, spontaneous rejoicing broke out. Watch what happened. Village believers stating that he too believes that Christ has paid for his sins. Itao, which means it's true or it's good, it's very true. Village grammar rejoicing that he believes, so does she. Different ones giving testimony as to their belief in Christ as their sin bearer. Mark saying that if they really are believing, then God's word says that their sin is forgiven. Itao, it's good, it's true. Spontaneous rejoicing breaks out. This went on for two and a half hours. Finally put to death, they were simply appalled. The rightful response, don't you? Hey, that's the way we ought to embrace the news that we've been forgiven. They got fired up. So today, let's go ahead and bow our heads as we go into a time of, of prayer.